everybody. Tyree here with Before I Forget, along with my buddy Kevin. Say hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. And it feels weird to be back here uh, in the room having a show, right? It's not like uh, the last couple ones. It's a little bit different. It's not. Well, as, it's not as cool. It doesn't feel as right, right? Yeah. No. I'm now. I'm sitting at my desk, staring at my computer and my wall, and it's way less boring. Wait, way more boring. Yeah, way more. You get what I'm saying. Word. So, today's guest is uh, from Bravo126. We know him very well. He was one of my roommates when I was in Germany. Um, he has a story to tell. And uh, we're going to get right into it here. Thanks for coming on, Jason King. Hey, gentlemen. How y'all doing? Doing all right, man. King, it's... Uh, I've got to say, man, um, I know I just saw you the other day, but uh, good to hear your voice, man. Yeah, man, I miss y'all's pretty faces. <laughs> right? Yeah. I would say hey, the same, I, but... Speaking of voices, can you make my voice a little bit manlier? It doesn't match my body. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it, man. I'm like a <laughs> wizard over here. I'll make you sound like uh, Barry White before this is done. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So we're going to get... Um, we have certain questions that we ask, you know, if you listen to the show, you know what these questions are. So let's hop right into it. What made you join the military? Oh man. You know, I was working at home Depot on the night shift and I, I, I got tired of working on the night shift. I went into the air force recruiter, took the little fake test and they were like, Oh, you didn't score hard enough. Maybe you should go into the Marines or the Army. Hell yeah. So I walked next door to the Army because my grandfathers were both in the Army, and I never knew either one of them. And my strep grandfather, he stormed the beaches of Normandy and did all that stuff. And, you know, so his stories kind of led me into joining the military, went into the Army. They said, oh, let's go down the maps, took the test, signed up, and left for basic training the next day and never told anybody. Whoa. Did you, how did you come to pick infantry? So I got three, three jobs. They were like, Hey, you could be an 88 Mike. And I knew I didn't want to be a truck driver. That's the only thing I knew about the military 88 Mike. Mm -hmm. Then they were like, Hey, you could be 11 x-ray. Or they said you could be air traffic controller. And I don't remember what the call sign, whatever they're, it was, uh, so I was like, "All right, well, what's the what's the bonus?" They were like, "Air traffic controller was like twenty grand, but basic was like eight weeks, but AI two was like forty some odd, thirty some odd weeks. It was long as hell." And they were like, "I was like, well, what's this eleven extra?" And they were like, "Oh man, bonus is like eight grand, but basic and AIT is like fourteen weeks." And I was like, "Sign me up," because all I knew about basic was you're going to get yelled at. And people are going to be in your face. And I thought, well, I don't know squat about AIT, but it sounds too long. And I don't know if I could handle somebody being in my face that for that long. So obviously, what year was this? 2001. Yeah. February. Wait, so you, okay. So you got to Germany like right before us. Yeah. I got there in, uh, end of June, 1st of July. Okay. Yeah. Never was in graph. When I got there, 
So it's crazy. Like, it's crazy timing, though. I mean, with everything, um, you're so you're. It's like I mean, kind of like me. Like so, like we're 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 pre nine eleven, mm-hmm. although like barely. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it was slightly right. Different, right? So when I went in in basic, I didn't know anybody. I was with uh, I think Charlie two five four, right there on Sand Hill. All I remember was the Unabomber was in Delta two five four, and I was Alpha. Yeah, and so I remember the last day. You know, they walk you up the hill. Everybody's out there, like three or four o'clock in the morning, clapping. You go into this little hill, this wooded area, and they're like, "Drink the blood of the soldiers who've fallen before you." You know, some fruit punch, and they have yeah. all the torches lit up, and the last torch is like, "This is your war." Right? Yeah, it's Honor Hill. Yeah, and they're like, "This is your war. This is what you're going to get into." And then after that, it was like cakewalk, right? Like drill sergeants were nice to you. You were eating good. You didn't have to hurry up anymore. You know, and then um, they gave you like 30 days off after that uh, before you went to your duty station in Germany. So like Frederick, he was in my company. There was a lot of like Private Gray that came with us was in our company. A lot of people that was in Charlie company was in my company. So there's like 12 of us that came over there at the same time. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, um, yep. you had that, uh, that time off. Where was, uh, home for you at that point? Cause I know we, so home we was, didn't get into home it. was Dallas, Texas. This so when a... I came home for those 30 days, I finally told my parents where I've been mm. and they're divorced. Right. So my mom's crying. My dad's anti-military cause he grew up in Vietnam. Right. So he didn't want nothing to do with Vietnam. He was one of those hippies. So, and my mom just thought about what her dad went through and what she witnessed during Vietnam. So, you know, very emotional. My sister, on the other hand, she was getting married. Her husband was in the Coast Guard. I was laughing at him, making fun of him. And, uh, you know, just you spend your 30 days with your family. And, you know, me and my dad didn't talk during that 30 days after he found out. So we kind of went our separate ways after that. How is your dad about it now? Oh, so like, me. Right. Yeah, we're close now. It was when I first got home, he asked me what it was like over there. And I told him some stories. And I remember him looking at me and say, oh, you're not you're not my little son. You're not my little boy. And I'm like, man, I'm like six foot four and a half, like <laughs> 200 and some odd pounds. I hadn't been your little boy since I was in elementary school. Right. <laughs> so. It, he didn't look at me the same way, right? When I told him some of the stories, and I learned right then off the bat, some of the stories, the, the life experience that we experienced in Iraq or, or Germany, whatever we did, it's not meant for other people. They, they just don't understand some of the things. And so those are the things that we keep with ourselves. You know, you and I, we can all shoot the breeze with, about it like we did bring up good memories and stories, but some people will never understand. Yeah. Yeah. But we're close now. Right. He doesn't ask me about it. He walks in my house and sees all the military stuff. And he's like, man, the military was the best thing you ever did. And I was like, yeah, I appreciate it. 
It's funny how that flips around, right? Yeah. Yeah, it changes, right? It just but it took me it took me forever to let to let him in, right? There was a lot of there was a lot of hatred there. There was a lot of uh like I didn't want to ask for help, right? Like I didn't want to reach out to a dad who was anti-military. I didn't want to reach out to a mom. Heck, I was what, late twenties when I got out. I didn't want to reach out to them and ask them for anything or, or, or be like I was on my own, right? I thought I could do everything on my own. And boy, was I wrong about that. But yeah, but you know, getting to Germany, it was great. Y'all remember a guy named Hamilton? Hmm. I think he was in the first platoon or something like that. Nah, well, uh, what about him? Well, he was one of the guys that served with. I was trying to think of their names that I came with, and I can't remember all their names. Too many concussions. <laughs> too many concussions, man. Yeah, too much alcohol since then, too. So how did you feel about, um, well, how did you pick Germany? Because you had the opportunity to pick your uh, duty station, right? Right. So it goes back to my grandfather, right? Storming the beaches, being in Germany. Mm-hmm. To me, it was like, oh, wow, that's where I wanted to go. They were like, you want to go to Fort Hood? No, I'm tired of Texas, right? <laughs> you want to go to other places? No, I want as far away as as dates as possible. I wanted to have a bond with my grandfather. And that was the Army and Germany. Those were the two bond, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do. And of course, you know, 50 some odd years later, it's a different totally atmosphere than what they went through, right? So Germany, I was looking forward to it. And all the drill sergeants were like, oh, y'all are going to love Germany. And I'm like, sweet, I can't wait. Yeah. They butter you up on that one, man. I know I was pumped. Yeah. I'm like, they have vending machines with beer on them on the corner. What? I go buy it. What? You serious? The girls are like, what? I'm in there. I'm coming. Yeah, it was it was a culture shock, that's for sure. Hell yeah. Yeah. I step back. I think I picture it like, hey, I I just got to Germany. I'm in Schweinfurt. I'm walking down the streets, and it feels like I was in an LL Cool J uh, video <laughs> from the eighties or nineties with people walking up with their pants around one knee and Long on the other leg. It was just like everybody thinks in there in the hip hop video, the German people. And I like, man, this, I loved it. I loved everything about Germany. People I met, experience, it was great. You still, uh, are you you still in contact with anybody over there? Uh, Some of the people I'm still friends with on social media. Mm. Um, You know, most of them live here now in the States. I mean, like the, the Germans. Yeah, the Germans. Yeah, yeah, but I haven't seen any of them in person. Yeah. Well, I take that back. Uh, the sisters. Uh, oh, yeah. The, um, ones. the sisters. Yeah, Stephanie and Carolyn. Yeah, Stephanie and her other sister. Uh, I saw. Stephanie, yeah. Oh, I saw both of them. Is that the uh, look at my creation? <laughs> Kevin, you remember that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, the blonde and the redhead. Same they one. were German American. Yeah, That's yeah. so funny. They were from Oklahoma. Well, their dad was from Oklahoma. Yeah, but, uh, I think they live up in Kansas now somewhere. Yeah, so they actually live over there in Fort Riley. Is it Fort Riley? 
Okay, up in Manhattan. Yeah, they live out in Manhattan. I was there. Remember that time I told you I came through Arkansas and camped out? Then I went up to Fort Riley and saw Sergeant Bloom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The night before I saw Sergeant Bloom, I was in a hotel, and I went to Stephanie's bar where she was working. Okay. Hung out there, and then I saw Stephanie like maybe two years later. Uh, she came out to my buddy's wedding out at his place out there in uh, Payola, Kansas, which is mm-hmm. outside of the city. She drove all the way out there with her friend, and they came to hang out. But I That's cool, seen- though. Yeah. It's nice to see people because they were one of the first people I met when yeah, I was same. in Germany. I don't remember how I met them, but, uh, you know. You they, know? Nah, I can't remember how I met them. You know what, though? Like, I, I, I was thinking about that. Like, I don't know either. I think they might have been friends with um, Benny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, friends with Pyrie. Um, Perez? Think, Perez. Uh, no, not not Perez. Not Perez, because he, he was dating uh, Yana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But one I'm pretty sure one of them, I'm pretty sure one of them was dating uh, Benny. What was his last name? Benny something. I can't remember. I got a picture of him, and I was looking at him the other day, and I was like, "Wow!" You know, I got all these pictures before Kosovo, so I was like, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool." Oh, but uh, I can't wait to get into that. But I'm uh, <laughs> gonna have to change the gears as usual. Have to jump in, which I hate yeah, to do. But I have sure. another question, and I'm done with the questions. Uh, what were you doing on 9-11? Oh, man. So we were getting ready for a night land nap out there. We were stuck. And what was it called? Area Mike. Yeah, we were out at Area Mike. We yeah, were just, doing uh, EIB, right? Uh, no, we were prepping for EIB. Okay, yeah. So getting ready for EIB, and they were teaching us day land nap, right? Because, you know, we all forget that stuff after basic. And, uh, we get over to, uh, getting ready for night land nav and they say, everybody load up, came back. And, you know, as you walk in, you have, uh, the CQ has a little TV right there and you can hear it on the news and everybody's down in their tow rooms with the TV and we're turning in our weapons and, you know, that's like eight, nine o'clock in the morning in the States. And, you know, people were freaking out like dual had family in New York. Everybody was like, what's next. And that night was pretty much locked down for, for us. And, uh, everybody went to the kitchen and they were like, here, here's, here's a weapon. And then it was like, you know, Hey, we're going to do patrols. And, you know, they were issuing live ammo and it was like, Oh man, the, it's hit the fan, right? This is real stuff right now. Mm-hmm. And then we did patrols, right? Or inside the bear or inside our, whatever you want to call it, our compound. Um, yeah, they're at Ledward. Yeah, they're at Ledward. And then the German soldiers were outside the fence and all the Bradleys and tanks were blocking. But like you couldn't get back to Asker Manor. Like mm-hmm. fam- people couldn't get to their wives and kids. You know, it's pretty much locked down. All soldiers were on the post and everybody else was back at home. Dude, what was um what was the security prior to nine eleven there on Ludward and Ashburn? That's a good question. There was no no security, right? Gates were open. Uh, those two main gates that are at there at the front, mm-hmm. that's how people left and entered. 
Like you just David just walk in and out. Yeah, pull in, leave, exit. You'd have the hmm. little secure toss there, check your badges. You know, walk in. But after September 11th, that's when they blocked those off, and you had to enter yeah. from a certain side of Ledward. Yeah. Hmm. And then had military out there. I know. I know we've done that detail quite a few times. Um, the Bundeswehr, they were out there doing it for us sometimes. Um, <laughs> a little off subject, but King, do you remember we were on gate one night? <clears throat> um, it was like a Friday or Saturday night. I think it was a Saturday night. And we were on that, uh, the, 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 the gate that's off the tank trail. Oh yeah. That, that's the <clears throat> one we always pulled security at. Yeah. So we were on that gate and you were doing the vehicle checkpoint. And this dude had come in in a pickup truck. He was wearing blue jeans and a white t-shirt. And I remember that because it was also cold as shit out. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> they, uh, I guess this this guy had given somebody shit the night before in our platoon because we were out Friday night at the, at the Rock. And all I remember is this dude standing out to the side, shivering, and you laying under his truck for about half an hour doing a vehicle search. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, I kind of remember a little bit about I remember laying under the truck, and I remember him shivering. Mm-hmm. I remember who the NCO was up there that was with us. But he was just like, take your time. I I think it might have been dual. It might have been. I think he was a brand-new E5 at the time. Yeah. And I just sat there underneath there. Just I don't know what I was looking at. Even today, I wouldn't know what I was looking at if I got under somebody's vehicle. But Dude, you could have told me you were in there taking a nap, and I would have believed it because you were down there for a while. <laughs> I probably did fall asleep. Right? It was <laughs> it was cold because I remember doing it when it was snowing. Mm-hmm. I remember one time we built a snowman. And, you know, <laughs> being from Texas, I don't know how to build no snowman. I'm yeah. over there packing it up, and they're like, "No, you got to roll it." And I'm like, well, I'm from Dallas. We don't get snow. Right. So that, those are good, good memories. Yeah, I think about, I I think about that. Actually, I think I've told some of my, um, my soldiers in basic training, I think I've told them that story. Like, listen, man, there's, there's, you can be as thorough as you want. And here's the story. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's it, right? I was, I was prepping for Iraq. Yeah. You knew it was coming. Oh, I know, right? We did it in Kosovo too. Yeah, no, but y'all were definitely fucking with this guy. <laughs> tell wow, me, that's what the, it for talking smack to our fellow brother. Well, tell yeah, me man. about Kosovo. Oh man, Kosovo was uh, man the, the, leading up to Kosovo. The fifty-two day field rotation. Sucked. Oh my god. Uh, man, I was, a, I was a Bradley driver at the time, and it was me. Bagnell was the gunner. And uh, Sergeant Winchester uh, was the BC, and we broke down. And I remember being where the mechanics are and stuff like that. And I was giving everybody a hard time. And I think I got my boots on. I had this smiley smiley face G-string, and I jumped (laughs) up on top of the Bradley, yelling like early in the morning, acting stupid with nothing but the G-string on. And and hang on, let me pause you right there. Just to reiterate, you are 6'4", at the time probably 200 pounds? Yeah, 212 at the time. Yeah. Texan, 
that's the scene. It just <laughs> just picture Woody Woody Harrelson out there. <laughs> hey, one hundred percent, y'all. Right? He looks very similar. Yeah, taller though, right? Just yeah, just way taller. Taller, you know. Yeah, so it, it was just stupidity, right? I was young and dumb, and you know, I like I like making people laugh. And man, we were bored as heck. But I'll tell you, after that that fifty two day field rotation, that's when uh, Black Hawk Down came out. So you know, we got to go to the movies to watch that while we were there. Yep. And then, uh, you know, I remember one time uh, I cut the. Uh, the comms wire because I was tired of the mechanics and the comm people were talking smack and nobody would help us out. So I remember jumping out in the snow, cutting the comm wire, taking off running through the snow, jumping back to the Bradley, putting my boots outside, right? Getting in there. And I remember somebody knocking on the, the Bradley door and they were like, Hey, did y'all cut our comm cable? And we're like, no, no, not us, man. We've been in here the whole time getting warm, you know, eating. And they were like, oh, well, we followed the boot prints all the way back to the Bradley. <laughs> that tells you how stupid I was about the snow, right? I forgot it leaves, it leaves <laughs> trails. <laughs> but, yeah, going to Kosovo was fun. Uh, it was different. You know, I hated the, I hated the security detail. You know, you're deployed, so what do you think they're gonna do? Oh, let's let's get our EIB. Let's let's still work out every day, right? Let's still train. Mm-hmm. In reality, you're thinking, man, I'm deployed. I should be doing missions, right? It's a peacekeeping mission. Um, you know, there were there were some good times there. Uh, the memories with everybody. Um, you know, going to Bulgaria. Um, there was a time I puked on, on meat after eating my Lucky Charms and Gatorade and smoking a cigar in that helicopter. Man. That was wild as hell, man. Were y'all in there? No, I was in a different bird, but I still tell that story, too. I was um, on with Gil, and we heard about it. That whole thing, period, was fucking insane. I had never been (laughs) on anything like that before in my life. They just dropped us, like... Like, let's map the earth, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much hills are out there. uh, Dude... Coaster. The most intense roller coaster uh, without oh, being connected to the ground. Yeah, ever. that's it. Right? Mm-hmm. Screw that Texas giant that they got here. In yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just like this thing is crazy, right? <laughs> it just takes you ever in the the heat because I was sitting right there on the edge. The heat from the blades coming back in and the engine, mm. it just your whole body's hot that whole time. You don't get fresh air. You would think that. Oh, the doors are open. I'm going to get some fresh air. No, that ain't yeah. happening. And I could just look at me and I'm smiling and I'm like, I'm not puking in my Kevlar. <laughs> and so I just puked all over me and just kept smiling at him. <laughs> you know, meat's like, <laughs> yeah. You know, he, got his, he got his meat laughing. I felt so bad afterwards, but everybody's laughing. I'm laughing. Meat's laughing. I think I had to buy him a pair, a brand new pair of BDUs or something after that. It was just, it was a funny experience. Uh, well, and, then, and to make that situation worse, like, so we, we got flown in for folks. Listen, we got flown in on a, it was an air insertion mission 
that was going to last. Uh, we were going to be out in the Balkan Mountains for you know two days or however long it took us to walk back. We got we got flown seventeen k's out, seventeen kilometers um, away from normal civilization, and we had to walk back. So here here meat is <laughs> covered in King's Lucky Charm vomit <laughs> for two fucking days. Do y'all remember uh, being out there at nighttime and somebody decided, oh, it's cold. And we're on the border, I think Serbia or whatever it was. Yeah, and we're I'm sure that fire. Yeah, we lit that big old bonfire out there. <laughs> yeah, and that helicopter showing up in the middle of the night, put your fucking fire out. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm not going to blame it on anybody, but <laughs> I think he lives in Kansas still. <laughs> but, oh, it was a good time. Uh you know, it's just, man, that, to me, I look back on that Kosovo trip, you know, that six-month deployment, and maybe it sucked while we were there going through EIB and all that, but you look back on it like I'd do it all over again, right? Just just good memories uh, with everybody there. You get your EIB. Uh, you get to experience something like no other's. And then when you come back, right, we came back to Germany and you had all the VFW people there. Oh, you're now a veteran of foreign wars. Here, sign yeah. up and all that. It kind of feels like, oh, man, I kind of I did something cool. Mm-hmm. Right? But wasn't nothing compared to what we were about to get ourselves into. I still don't understand how going to Kosovo for a peacekeeping mission qualified us to be members of the VFW. But I, I signed up. Did. I did, too. I got the card. Yeah, I signed up. But I think it was just one of those because at one time the Balkans was, it wasn't a peacekeeping mission. Yeah, yeah in the late 90s. Yeah, so that was yeah. when Slobodan Milosevic was uh, genocide, uh, committing genocide against the Albanians. Right. And some of that stuff was still there. Like, you know, we got to work with NATO at the time. And that was the first time seeing <clears throat> NATO with their bright blue baby helmets. Yeah. North Carolina looking helmets. Well, we were, um, we fell under NATO. I mean, we we fall under NATO, but it was that our our deployment to Kosovo was a NATO mission. That's how we, that's why we got that NATO campaign uh, campaign ribbon. Yeah, but we didn't have to wear those bright Thank blue. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah, no, I did class with my eye color. Man, them things were <laughs> sharp. I'm I wanted one. I'm like, man, I hope I get the blue beret. I, hope I stand but out. It's cool, like you get to work with the French, right? And yeah. Some, uh, all these other people, and I think we were giving the French hard time, and they were giving us hard time, but. I don't know. You look back on it and it was just like, it was fun. Cause I remember chasing some dude down in the middle of, uh, what was it? Serio? Where were we at? Serio? Pristine? Oh, whatever. Um, Monteith. Monteith. That was the Mon- base. Monteith. Yeah. And Jelani. Yeah. And Jelani. So I remember chasing some dude down that was taking pictures of our front. It was me. Oh, and I remember Kick- that. And Sergeant Smith was on the post and, Dude, we, we zip-tied this guy and everything, and then here come, uh, what was that one CO that we had that left right before we got deployed? Uh, oh, Ocasio? Yeah, Captain Ocasio. He came, and he was like, oh, you're embarrassing that man. Take the zip-ties off. So took the zip-ties off. We walked back, and that's when Captain Kelly, uh, who was the mayor at the time of the whole base, who was our captain of our Bravo company, that's when he, like him and Captain Ocasio got into it in front of soldiers. And I was like, oh, I've never seen two COs, you know, captains going off in front of each other. 
but I ended up getting like a, an achievement medal. I can't remember. Was that AAM or yeah, I can't yeah. remember. But, but we got like an AAM out of it. And you know, they were like, Oh, you did a good job. And I'm hey. like, Oh man, that kind of felt cool. Hell yeah. You got to stay vigilant. The world was spicy at that point. It was 2002 and, uh, we're fresh off, uh, terrorist attacks. So somebody taking a picture right. at an installation is definitely somebody you want to talk to. Yeah. Absolutely. And it kind of leads up to, Oh, Hey, look at you again, right? Here's another checkpoint from Germany to Kosovo. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to be pulling checkpoints in Iraq, mm-hmm. right? So you might not have thought, I definitely didn't think about it then, but when you look back on it, it was like, Oh, somebody was telling me something, right? Somebody was leading me to the bigger picture preparing us for our next mission. Yeah. How did you feel well, about the, uh, I'm sorry. Well, I was, I was going to say, like, I remember when we went to Kosovo, uh, so when I, when I left basic training, like I knew that at some point I was going to end up, you know, in Afghanistan, right. Cause that was the place to be. And we go to Kosovo instead. I'm like, that's really interesting. But <clears throat> with all the missions that we did, I remember the bulk of us taking it very serious, even though we were there for peacekeeping and we can look at, look, we can look back on it in retrospect and be like that we, it, you know, that was probably the most boring six and a half months of our lives. But like in our minds with the training that we had just done for those 52 days before that deployment and the climate of the world with terrorist attacks and this and that, um, I know in our minds, a lot of us were like, okay, so we need to be serious about this stuff. Um, so when we're doing patrols, uh, along the Serbian border, you know, be on the lookout for this or that, or <clears throat> when we're doing um, border security between Kosovo and Serbia and we're checking vehicles, you know, be cautious and be aware, you know, and then, you know, that whole night. So we're, when we're in- interacting with people, like we're going to interact a certain way. We're going to try and, and be the best we can be and be vigilant. Like you said, Terry. And then, <clears throat> so that whole thing. And then we can look back on Kosovo after Iraq and be like, vastly two two very different deployments right like very but if it if it wasn't for our mindset while we were in kosovo we might not have been as prepared when we finally got to iraq because our minds were in they had been in that place before right you remember going to i want to graph for hohenfels we went to the little town and they were like oh this is what the iraqi people are going to be like and Kosovo was the perfect scenario because look at all the kids we dealt with in Kosovo, right? That would yeah. be on the fence line, come to the base, wanting to talk to us. And you had that interpreter who was pretty dang cool. I don't remember his name. Yeah, heck, but you dealt with those kids. Same thing when we got to Iraq, right? You get the interpreter and then you're just surrounded by kids when it comes to being out there deployed and everything like that. So you're, you're definitely right. Like it led up, right. Us taking it serious. And that's when we left, that's when Kosovo was the transitioning before, because we lost Sergeant Bloom, right. We lost Sergeant Felici during that time period. And here we get, here comes Sergeant Gill, right. Here comes, uh, the Wollers. Here comes Absher all those people start coming in right after during Kosovo right after. And we start losing the people that were truly mechanized and they started getting going to their next duty station. And that's when we really started getting in the 11 Bravos. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, me. It was a, <clears throat> I was gonna say this is a really that honestly it was it was kind of a a smooth transition. It was. Yeah. I didn't Did really you? think about that. Like, uh, there was a big sweep of a lot of people from the 80, 82nd and uh, a lot of, uh, like, air assault folks that came just before we yeah. left, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who came before, uh, but, like, right after, like, Gil came in and then he went to Ranger School during that time period. Uh, we lost Sergeant Worth after that, and he was the only one that had the Ranger tab. And then Zom got his, and then he went to SF right after that. And so that's when Baggett and all them started coming in, Captain Rockefeller right after that. So, you know, it was, it was like you said, it was a good transition, smooth. Because I think when y'all went to, uh, when y'all came in, were y'all 11 X rays or Bravos? I was originally slotted as 11 Mike. Yeah. So I was 11 X ray, was assigned 11 Mike. And then, um, right before we left, cause like we even did like the small mech school that it, it wasn't like it was, you know, it was only a day and it was just an introduction to the Bradley. And then I think the week of graduation, we all got slotted 11 Bravos. Yeah. So I went, I went 11 x-ray and I didn't have 11 Mike. <clears throat> it was some kind of, other, I can't remember what the secondary MOS was, uh, but like you said, I think right before graduation, I went in as 11 Bravo. So I, me and Frederick were the first 11 Bravos in our platoon. Everybody else was 11 Mikes. Really? You know, we didn't, re- we didn't come back. We didn't come from, you know, any, we came straight out of basic, right? We didn't know diddly squat. But I remember when Gil got there, Sergeant Major Gil, he just like – he was not a fan of the mechanized way, right? Mm-hmm. So glad that when he came in, because we talked about this in Destin, that, you know, we might have not have liked him at first. Uh, but I'm so glad he pushed us. He was hard on us. Uh, you know, he kind of whipped us in shape, right? Because he came from that 82nd mentality, yeah. right? And we were Him, him and uh, Lieutenant Montrose. Yeah, Lieutenant Matros, uh, wasn't he, uh, I can't remember if, yeah, he was uh, NCO before he became a lieutenant. Yeah, he was a staff sergeant. Yeah, he was a staff sergeant, right? So uh, every once in a while I see him on uh, Instagram, like mm-hmm. he's still in Germany, he just wrote a book about everything, but yep. I liked him, right? I mean, he was he was a good officer. And, uh, you know, even if we were deployed with him to Iraq, I think he would have been perfect for us. He could have let us down. But either way, we ended up with good officers. Uh, But like Sergeant Major Sims said, uh, I should say command Sergeant Majors when I talk about him and Gil, you know, our platoon was pretty much run by NCOs. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely had – we definitely got lucky with, I mean, I know we've, <clears throat> Tyree and I've talked about this a thousand times on the show, but like we, I don't know that we could have gotten any luckier with the the lineup that we had. Um, I don't think we had hardly any duds um, across the board from the lower enlisted all the way up to the senior enlisted and the, and the officers. Like everybody 
was a performer in some way. Everybody knew the mission. Everybody wanted to do well. And I think that goes, uh, that goes back to, you know, like we've said, the, the, the leadership and just, you know, um, making sure we knew the importance and the severity of, of, of the mission and what we were doing and the overall goal and, you know, no unnecessary risks, um, while still uh, being able to accomplish the mission, uh, when it came down to it. Yeah. I I think for like a lot of us, like you Brown, we have so much history with each other. You know, we all came in around the general same time. You know, we had all been with each other for so long. You could truly say there was no micromanaging for us, right? Yeah. Nobody was over our shoulders at the things we did. And I would tell you that our platoon was the ones that were like, oh, there's a gunfight. Let us go, right? We're, right. We're, sign us up. Give us some ammo. We're ready to rock and roll. Right. The only time we bitched about things was uh, filling sandbags. Oh like, how much can that roof handle? Right. Oh sand- my god! Let's that stop was... sandbags. Right? Don't we got some uh, non-infantry people to do this, dude? Ten, if I remember right, ten thousand sandbags were filled. Ten fucking thousand sandbags <laughs> were filled, and then hauled to the 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 top of a three-story building yeah that could barely support it i just remembered being out there in the middle outside the fence and thinking this is how we're gonna die right a mortar round's gonna hit us while we're filling sandbags i swear to god i thought that was gonna happen i thought that that was what it was gonna be man yeah and there we are all are sleeping below it yeah Mm -hmm. i thought i thought every time i went to the porter john whatever you want to call it that's all I could think of was it's so freaking hot in here. A mortar round's going to kill me while I'm, you know, mm. class two download, <laughs> you know, like, like what's going on in this thing, right? I'm going to die. And sure enough, what happens? I get hit by a mortar round while I'm out there pulling some kind of maintenance on Bradley's. Oh man. Yeah. Um, that, that was pretty intense. That was when the, uh, the division Sergeant major was there, right? Our Major McCarthy, remember, every mm-hmm. time he showed up, we always got in the firefight. Yeah, it's because he showed up. <laughs> right? Like he, 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 he always showed us. up because he wanted to get in the firefight. So when he showed up, like we were pulling security on the roof like the week prior, and it was our downtime. And the, I, there was, I think the rest of y'all were pulling missions. And it was me, Strand, and I think Bozil and Snyder. And uh, we were the ones pulling maintenance, doing maintenance on the Bradleys, right? Nothing, just PMC stuff, right? Nothing crazy. And uh, some of the mechanics were out there. And He shows up, and I'm sitting there talking to Sergeant Major McCarthy, and I'm like, hey, Sergeant Major, every time you show up, we get into a firefight. And he's laughing about that time. Here comes the mortar rounds landing. And mm. I remember the strand getting hit, the mechanic getting tore up. And he was like three feet from me. And I remember trying to get him to safety with some other guys. And that's when like shrapnel hit my knee and elbow. And then I remember going inside and all I can remember them saying, oh, you're hit. And, you know, here I I do something from like Rambo. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> and I, I like to remember they're like, oh, look at you. You're hurt. And I'm like, 
I'm going home. I'll see y'all in Germany. <laughs> yeah, we can't be mad about it, you know what I mean? Because we at that point in time, fuck, we had been in the country for what eight, ten months. months? Right? Yeah. yeah. No, it was like Feb, January, late January. I only know my born alive date. It's like late January, February when yeah. I was injured. So, <laughs> you know, get to go home early, you know, do all that stuff, and then you know, everybody coming back. And then, you know, once we, everybody got back, it's like, uh Oh, we got to make up for a year of not drinking. Right. Now, was that you that made sure each refrigerator in the barracks had beers? Yeah, I think, uh, I can't remember who was on the, who was the NCO, uh, NCO back there on rear duty, but he, there was alcohol beverages in every room and uh we helped uh you know stock the refrigerators and stuff like that i might have stocked more in mine than y'all's but uh (laughs) i felt like i might have deserved it yeah man yeah yeah well it's not like i went anywhere right i'm on crutches right by myself right i mean you could have been under the rock man imagine by myself right Go to the rock. Hey, go to the rock by yourself on crushes as a Purple Heart recipient. Come on, man. Dude, you you remember how steep those stairs were? <laughs> yeah, that's I true. Bad to try to go down that falling down it. It was. Just, I'm not gonna say they were as steep as the Irish pub. Mm-mm. But no, the were, Irish pub was an accident waiting to happen. Well, I think I remember seeing some people fall down those stairs. Yeah, or they fall. Trying to go up the stairs. Yeah, I was going to say, if all going up. Yeah, I mean, that, those stairs were steep, and I can't, you know, but it was good time, man. I'm not going to lie. Like my dad told me, man, that was the best decision I ever made, and it was a spur-of-moment decision. It was, I'm just going to do it and and deal with the consequences later, right? Hey, and so also, when you, putting it that way, um, how do you, how do you think that, like, so that decision-making process, you know, spur of the moment ended up being one of the best decisions you've ever made. Has that like impacted um, or changed how you make decisions on things now? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, some decisions I think about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like buying a new vehicle, you know, to me, I look at it like, okay, am I going to buy this new vehicle? And what's wrong with my old, my current vehicle. And I just put, will the, does my current vehicle cost me more a year than my new vehicle would. Right. So some things when it comes to money, I make decisions, but when it comes to like quitting a job and getting a new job, no, I make a decision because I can handle the consequences. It's either going to work out for me or it's not going to work out. If it doesn't work out, man, I've learned a great lesson in life. And I can, you know, jump this hurdle and clear the next and I'm on to the next road. Right. So I'm not going to say every, every decision should be like that, but how many people do you know, just sit back and contemplate on making the decision and then never make, never do it. Yeah. Right. 30 years down the road, they regret never making that decision. Right. I'm not going to say jump and get married. I'm not going to say, Oh, I'm going to go have a baby. Because those decisions will affect you forever. And right? other people. 
yeah, yeah, and other people. So for me, it's just like I remember having a job one time, and my buddy was like, "Hey, man, we're going to Florida for this monster truck event," and I'm like, "All right, cool." He told me the dates, and I'm like, "Man, I can't get off." They tell me no. He's like, "Okay." I called him 30 minutes later. I was like, I'm going, man. He's like, what happened? He goes, I just quit my job. I said, I, nobody's going to tell me I can't go spend time with my friends or go do something. So I quit my job. Right. Would you say and in I, your mind, would you say that, that that's a matter of um, priority? No, at the time. Man, well, I, I mean, like okay like if it's between like i mean don't get me wrong as as adults living in this world we we definitely have to have a job you know income and all that stuff but like when it comes to moments with um the people that we give a shit about especially in our community since we seem to be so closed off um from making a lot of more friends um so would you say that like because then, I, for the, for example, for this reunion, man, like I know, like a lot of people that came, or some of the people that came, like you know, it was, it came down to the wire. I know for me, it came down to the wire. Like you know, will I be able to go? And then I got to thinking about, it. I was like, there's no way I'm not going to go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so like, in my mind, I had to prioritize. Like, okay, so like, what things can I do to make sure this is going to happen? You know, is is my work going to be mad at me? If so. Uh, you know, how will I handle that? Blah, blah. You know, it was just it was shit like that. But like prioritizing. So like, well, that's what I'm, kind of, kind of what I'm asking. Like, did you, in, in that instance, like prioritize these people are special to me and this job kind of sucks anyway. So let's just, let's do it. Yeah. So I, I always, I always look back at it as like, my dad tells me a story about when I was a kid riding a little, uh, Spider-Man tricycle down the street and he would be like the wind is blowing and you'd be standing up just with your legs against the handlebars going down the hill with your arms out like with the wind blowing in your face right and he goes that moment he goes I knew you were going to be a traveler like a wanderer around the world and everything I've ever done has always been kind of spur of the moment right and then after the the memories I shared with y'all in the military and getting out and then losing some loved ones and going through the difficult times that I had, yeah, it was, I'm going to go create memories with my friends because I'll never get this chance again. But here, when I quit that job, I had, I had sold a landscape company, so I had money in a bank, right? I had my disability money coming in from, the VA. So I had all my bills paid. My yeah, priority, you were in a bad spot. I wasn't in a bad spot. If I couldn't afford to do that, I would have never quit my job mm-hmm. because I'm not going to put myself, I'm not going to take steps back when I've already dug myself out of the hole. Mm-hmm. Right? right. I'm not going to change ladder ladders, right? I'm not going to change my life. I'm going to keep climbing up. And, you know, I talked to like me and Brown talked about the hard times, you know, and Destin about what I went through when I first came home. So everything's been slowly moving forward, right? Gradually going up and, you know, losing my sister to cancer. Then I lost my cousin here recently last year to COVID. And you hear about everybody going through COVID. We've all been affected, whether you believe in it or not. We've all been affected by some kind of disease, accident, 
or something in our life. And I saw a statistic a while back and it states every seven seconds, an illness or an accident changes somebody's life forever. And I thought, man, that's crazy. And then I got mad and think like who, who keeps up with stupid statistics like that? That's just a negative thought, like impacting my life. But then I thought, man, from here on out, I'm never going to miss a chance to spend time with my family, to spend time with my brothers, my sisters, the people I truly care about. I'm never going to look back and say, I regret that. But I'm single with no kids. I don't have any responsibilities. All right. So I can say, hey, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go do that, you know, because I don't have that. Right. If I was in brown shoes, I wouldn't be able to do it. Maybe, hey, you know, got a kid, got to make sure they're in school, right? Got yeah. a wife, got to make sure she's okay to, you know, with everything, right? Yep. It's not like you and I, Kevin, we can just, and you really can't do that because you're in the military, but, you know, we can yep. kind of pick up and go, right? We can do yeah. what we, then I send y'all that post about, that's what I hate about being single. I get to do what I want when I want at any time I want. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, and, and, and even I'm kind of limited on that cause you know, I have my, my dogs and one of them's a diabetic. So, um, you know, I have to, you know, his, 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 his livelihood is solely dependent on if I feed him on a schedule and give him his insulin. So that he's got to get a shot, right? Yeah. I got to yeah. ask you to a question. Yeah. Mm. When you see other people with families, kids, mm. wife, all that kind of shit, how do you feel? Man, I'm jealous of you. Yeah. Like, uh, is that, I always wanted to ask people and not like in a fucked up way, like, you know, me trying to rub something in somebody's face, but I always <laughs> wanted to know like, Hey, like, uh, single soldiers that don't have families, like that shit's rough. Believe me. Um, you remember, uh, you watch these videos, right, on Facebook, TikTok, whatever, social media, or in the news, and you see these videos where soldiers are coming back home to their kids or their wives. There's like 60%, 60% of the military single. Mm-hmm. So when we came back home, we weren't running into anybody's arms. You know, I might have saw Griff and Frederick or Griff and Kevin frolicking toward each other, <laughs> you know, but there was yeah. no loved ones for us when we came home, right? Yeah. We came home, we shook each other's hands. Everyone's like, let's go take a shower and let's go get something to drink. Yeah. You know, it was, <clears throat> you don't have that for single people. So when I was in Iraq, I remember uh, Peeps. I remember how I remember Sergeant Smith golf. I remember everybody getting love letters yeah, right? and packages from home. I never got any of that. And I remember thinking, man, here I am in combat, dancing with the devil, walking that fine line between life and death. And I have no one to go back home to. When I get through with this, life just goes back to normal and it already sounds boring. And so when I come home and especially when, you know, here recently, right, when we were in Destin and I saw you bring your son and Sergeant Major Gill and his family came and, you know, people brought their wives 
to me, y'all found somebody you can share your life with. Some of us still struggle opening up with somebody or finding somebody we can connect with on the same level. It's not going to judge us because we're in the military. We went to combat. The first thing I hear when I date, oh, you got PTSD? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you answer that? Because as soon as you answer yes, you automatically feel like you're getting judged. And you are. And a, a yeah. lot of times, it's like if they're going to spend the time to ask that question, that's what they're asking for. Like, I've, cause I've been in those same, that same exact fucking situation. Oh, you have PTSD, huh? Or you're a combat veteran, huh? You, you did this, you did that. And, or in my case, you know, um, that and being a drill, like, oh, you're an asshole, huh? Come on, man. Right. Drill and sergeant, <laughs> right? Or instructor, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, same, with kids, you know, kids, they are at, oh, did you kill anybody? Right. You get the cool answer like, oh, I never stopped to count. All right. So kids, you, you can answer some of these, right? Some people say, thank you. I just say, Hey, you know, you're worth fighting for, or you're welcome. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't get mad at stuff like that, but it kind of, it kind of kicks me in the the growing or I feel like when I'm on dates, like the date just stopped, like you just hit a barrier. You can never come back from because you asked if I had PTSD mm. and I don't know how to get past that. Right. If I say yes, which I always do, I say, yeah, the VA is diagnosed me with extreme PTSD. Right. Like then all of a sudden you get these deep thoughts and I'm like, Whoa, this yeah. is the first date. Like we're not supposed to be talking about how the world was made. Right. We're not supposed right. to have deep thoughts. We're here to have fun. Uh, yeah. You can have fun, but you can also have a deep conversation too at the same time. Like, uh, Maybe, maybe you need to sit there and, and give it somebody the story and get it off your chest, and they might well, like I think understand it, a little it, bit. I think it depends on why they're asking. So, like when I came home, a lot of people would always ask, you know, "Oh, you went to Iraq? Did you kill anybody?" And you know, at, at first you're like, uh, "This is an awkward question." Um, I was infantry in Iraq, so that was my job. Like, I but then the you know, I would listen to their responses, and their responses would be like, uh, "Oh man, what was it like?" And so then I, I was like, "Okay." Whenever somebody asks me if I killed somebody, I'm going to ask them, why do you want to know? And I'm looking for one of two answers, right? Like, then that's it. Like either you want to know because you want to see if it's cool or you want to know if I killed somebody because you want to know how I'm doing with it and how it's setting, you know, how, how, how I'm, how I'm living how with it. How it affects you, right? Like- right. Do they genuinely give a fuck about what they're asking, or are they just like, "Oh man, what's it? What's it like to fucking kill somebody?" Yeah, because that matters. So when you're like in, <clears throat> when it comes to like those dating scenarios, and somebody asks you, you know, do you have PTSD? It's, it, I think to me anyway, it comes down to, well, why do you want to know, right? Like, I mean, I, I understand. Okay, if we're looking at dating and you're concerned about your safety and well being, but. That's one of the big stigmas with PTSD is that, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, you have combat PTSD, you must be violent. You probably have a gun stash somewhere and you might pull it on me one day. And that's just not the fucking case. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's like it's not the case with people who've been in major accidents who have PTSD or sexually <laughs> assaulted who have PTSD. Mm-hmm. Some of those people aren't scared to drive. Some of those people don't. They're, they're not going to be uh, born-again virgins, right? They're not standoffish. To me, when you ask about PTSD on a first date or the second mm-hmm. date, 
I'm not open up, right? It takes me a long time for me to open up to somebody to talk about that stuff. And yeah. on the first date, I'm just here to see how we click, not not talk about our past histories with something that they weren't a part of. Right. right. I just want to know how do we click right now so we can get to the second date and then we can get to that point in life to where, Hey, let's open up about stuff. Let's open up about it. Yeah. Point. No, cause at, yeah, you're right. Though. I mean, at, at that point, if somebody's asking you for date one, day two, day three, if they're asking you, do you have PTSD? They're trying to force a lid off of something, right? That's what they're, that's what they're doing is that, you know, they're, they're, they're forcing their way into something that is personal and, traumatic to you and saying, I want you to, I'm, 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 I'm asking for this answer. And yeah, I mean, I, I see it from that perspective for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, cause like you said, like you're there, especially on the first and second dates, you're there to like, see how well you jive. And um, do I even trust you enough to, you know, let you in on this personal detail of my life? That's what it's about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So for me, Brown, when you asked that question about seeing y'all, hell yeah, man, I'm jealous as hell because y'all have that bond. You have somebody to share your life with forever. For me, I'll, I'll never be able to have kids because I can't have kids, but I can still try to meet somebody and share my life with somebody. You know, I'm 44. Even if I got married next year, hundred percent unlikely. But if I got married next year, and I live to be 90. That's 45 years of marriage, right? If they live to be the same age, right? So you could still have that that fairy tale of marrying somebody and being in a marriage for so long because we look at everybody who's been in a marriage forever and we think, man, that's amazing, right? Y'all been married, excuse me, to the same people forever. That's awesome. So... You look at that and you think, man, yeah, I'm I'm jealous of every one of y'all. Man. I, you know, not like in a bad way. I just, you have something that, man, I would give my right leg for, you know, to have. There were things I would give up things in my life to mm-hmm. have that. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things, right? Until then, I'm gonna keep going to the casino, keep having fun <laughs> with my brothers, keep going on trips. Right keep on, telling my story, keep mentoring other veterans going through the legal system, keep doing things that I can help out, yeah. uh, you know, other vets. I tell you, man, um, I married a woman that had kids, so I was a stepdad instant. And um, you're right. You, you do get a different kind of a feeling from a family that loves you. And all that kind of stuff, but man, that week or that week we were all together, I got the same kind of feeling. It was like family. I, it. I know we we fucking beat this to death, but that's that's the feeling I got. Like I I didn't. It wasn't me introducing Anthony to King. It was me introducing my brother Jason to Anthony. And right. That's that was fucking spectacular to me. So you know, I, you, when when you guys say you don't have family, yeah, you do. You got us. <laughs> Boy, yeah, I but that right, you, and that, and I felt the same way because I don't know about Kevin, but usually when I'm around kids, my cousins' kids or stuff like that, it's like I can only 
take so much of them before I want to rip their heads off. Yeah. Right. Being around everybody else's kids in Destin, you never once thought anything about, oh, it's too loud or it's too mm-hmm. crazy or oh, anything. Yeah. It was just like, man, I, I loved watching the kids get together. Like y'all talked about it, man. Anthony got to hang out with the Gills kids and they got to experience and make memories. And, you know, I kind of wish Stanford brought their kids and the Walkers had brought their kids and Griff's had brought Sarah. Yeah, their kids. And you got to see Sapphire there experience. And so, so much of that. And like you said, I wasn't, you know, almost felt like, hey, I'm an uncle to Anthony, right? Yeah. Almost felt like, hey, I'm an uncle to everybody else. It's just like, this is family, right? It's like what Walker said. Being out there in the ocean, tossing the football around and seeing all 30 of us out there, it's yeah. like being them all at one time, being baptized at all at one time. It was just surreal, and there, there's nothing to – I don't know how you how you would experience it or how you would explain it to people who haven't experienced what we did. Yeah, um, right. That, that That is kind of a – I think Tyree, you, and you kind of nailed it when you were talking to Simon Gill about how you know you could never have imagined back then that one day your kid and his kids would be you know at the beach in Destin, Florida, you know playing together, and uh, that is it. Really, is kind of a crazy ass thought. Like you know, <clears throat> who who could have thought? But when you talk about like uh, yeah, like King and I, we definitely and, and folks like us, right? Like we definitely consider all you guys family. But I think, I think what King is referring to um, is we we don't have our own to bring. Oh to yeah, that. I, and I that. and that's a that that because like, you know seeing that right, seeing you bring Anthony or all the other kids that were there and introducing them to these people that were um, so very important and, and and a part of a very significant portion of our life, and then having them there. And hearing the stories firsthand and like seeing the interactions firsthand, like you can't beat that. And you have to wonder, like, <clears throat> is something like that ever going to happen for me? And will it be too late? You know what I mean? Um, so that's also part of the reason why, like, I'm super glad that we're trying to make this an annual thing. Um, because uh, according to my family, there's still hope <laughs> that I'll have a kid. <laughs> you know, it- and I don't know about Kevin, but I'm the last male in my family to carry on my last name, mm-hmm. right? And I can't have kids, so my legacy dies with me. But when my sister passed away, it was hard for me because she's my only sibling. So I always knew my dad and my mom one day will pass away, right? Mm-hmm. They're older. Sooner or later, life happens. We're going to outlive them. And I always thought it would be me, my sister, her husband, and her two boys, right? And then when my sister's gone, I know I'm going to outlive my parents. And, you know, I know my brother-in-law, he's going to get married, you know, to somebody else. And my nephews, they're going to go get married and all that stuff. So I'm going to be that veteran one day that they're going to be hitting up on social media, whatever, that, hey, we got to a veteran who passed away that has no family. So, you know, there's, there's a part of me that's scared to death of that. Right. I don't want that. I don't want to die alone. 
but you know that's why i say like you know it's 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 not a bad jealousy it's just like man i love seeing you have that family have that bond have somebody that you and your son are so much alike and y'all can share things with and you can tell him his your experiences and then go on and Sergeant Major Gill shares his experience and everybody has that. And then, you know, me, Kevin, and some of the other single guys, that's the stuff we want in life so we can leave our legacy, right? That's the biggest thing. I want to see legacies go out there. I want my my kids or my nephews or y'all's kids to go out there and share stories. And, you know, I just want to have, for me, I want to have an impact on people's lives. And I just wasn't here on on earth just living a bum life right yeah, yeah, just to exist i want to have that impact i don't believe that you're living a bum life man you had a lot of uh things happen in your life for reasons and oh yeah i always oh, I, I, I feel like uh you know you are where you are for something and through took, your through your life experiences you can um you can help a ton of people and you might run into somebody if y'all will put these damn walls down you guys throw up fuck <laughs> they're high walls man they're high yeah. walls right? it's just you know i got out of the military because i was engaged right they gave me a choice to get out of the military you can reclass or you can get out medically and i chose to get out medically cuz i was engaged and thought i was going to have a family and then, you know, her stealing all my money and and, go, and uh, calling it off, you know, all that resentment. And then me thinking, why this? I gave up my, you know, my dream job of the military for a girl and, you know, just a lot of things that made me end up homeless. But over time, right, I was able to come past that, keep moving on and have an impact in everybody's life. But in the end, man, it was just. You know, when you ask that question about the single versus the families, mm-hmm. man, we we love it. We love that everybody yeah. has a family. Yeah, right? definitely not mad about it, man. Like, yeah, heck no, because it was. I mean, Tyree, I, I, I passively had that same thought too. Is like, man, like that's Anthony, you know, and he's playing with the Gills kids, and we're all here at the beach, like. It's it's kind of it's like wrapping your mind around it. It's like, what? Yeah, you know, after everyone left, I went home with the Stampers, and Anthony mm-hmm. got got to chill out with their kids, and you know, they have a sixteen year old daughter that drives mm-hmm. around a fucking um what are the, the, the side by side? Yeah, she's whipping around the neighborhood in the side by side with imagine the kids. That. With the kids, Anthony's sitting that. shotgun, man. I was yeah, sitting there just smiling, the st- looking at him. And in-laws. <laughs> hey, they're going to be uh, Anthony's godparents. Oh, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Cool. You know, it's and you think about it, the Gills kids were there. Your kid was there. Stamper's kids. All y'all got to hang out for a split second. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and hopefully next year, it'll, you know, more people will bring <clears> their kids, like the Walker, and maybe yeah. we'll meet uh adam and his wife uh robin and their their baby a bundle yeah mm-hmm. that should be there by now right by then yeah off in King. colorado that's what we're doing folks that's the that's King. the plan yeah yeah sure king so uh I, I, I gotta say though um you talking about how 
you know, maybe you can go off and get married next year and how it's a hundred percent not going to happen. Um, I just read a message in our group chat from Miss Sierra Walker. Oh, I saw it. Uh, yeah. So, um, listen, if she's on the case, there, there might be a chance cause hot or not worked for her. Oh my God. If she's on <laughs> the case, crazy. it's a done deal, man. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm going to just buy my suit. I'm now. all on, I'm all on these Bumble and Facebook dating and, <laughs> and I that's think all I'm bullshit, dude. And mingle. It dude, it's all bullshit, man. Like all of it, it's all bullshit. Like all of that fucking online dating bullshit is bullshit. It is. I give it a whirl, man, just because you, you never know. There's always a chance of yeah. Meeting no, somebody. I get it. Like it's 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 casting your casting your rod and and, and several yeah. lakes at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, I mean I don't. Most of these people are like, oh, let's meet right off the bat, and I'm like, whoa, killer, slow your roll. Like, let's talk. Let's have a conversation on the phone. Let's FaceTime something that. like that, right? Let's, yeah. you know. And I'm not gonna lie, I was dating back in the late 90s, even with AOL chat rooms were big. <laughs> you right, you definitely never I'm, knew who you're going to get. Oh, man. Yeah, right? It's crazy. So, I mean, <laughs> you never know, man. I, I'm I'm open for anything, uh, but it, it's just, it's life, right? Some curveballs throw you. I mean, look at it, right? Hot or not. And then you got Walker and Sierra, and they got a great family. They got a great marriage. And oh man, I mean, that shit's dude, fucking dude makes his own bread. It's work. It's not as easy as you guys think, man. Me and my wife been married for a long ass time. How do you know? Years. Wait, no, thirty years. <laughs> well, coming up on four or come uh, thirteen years, fourteen years, something like that. That's awesome, something right? like that. And we, you know, I before I dated her. Tried the fucking online dating shit. It didn't work. And now you know where I found my wife in my grandma's backyard. It's very crazy. And, and that was jump it. a hmm? Oh, she jump a fence to get back there? No, she was friends with my family. Oh, see? Yeah. That's even better, right? You you met somebody through acquaintances, yeah. family. But yeah, you know? what I'm saying is like uh, it's fucking work. It's not always sunshine and fucking rainbows in the married life. Sometimes I'm sure people would like uh, think, "Man, I wish I hadn't done that." And that's why you have such high divorce rates with military folks, and you know, in my case, police folks too. Like, they're it's a double whammy. Here's what here's what I always say: it's the worst thing, right? You remember, um, you always get told, "Hey, man," or even women get told this the most. You need the strength to walk away, yeah. right? And everybody has to have strength to walk away from a negative impact that's happening on your life. But I'm going to tell you what, when you get used to walking away, it becomes a negative in your life. Mm. Because as soon as something becomes hard with another person, argumentative, or you just get tired of your job, you're so used to walking away, and that's what you do. Oh, yeah. I'm walking away. It becomes away. easy. Yeah. It, it becomes too easy and then you never allow yourself to build that relationship with somebody and so i could sit here all day and, and talk about like you know hey i want this and i need to open up but i also need to walk stop walking away when it does get hard when i do start to open up but i'm not somebody i'm not walker right i don't have the vernacular <laughs> i can put certain words together 
and talk to somebody. Sometimes it's just my emotions. Sometimes I have to take a step back and figure out how am I going to respond to something that yeah. some, and I'm just not quick with my words. Although I'm quick with sarcasm, mm-hmm. I'm just not yeah. quick with responding with something. Right. So it's just, it's one of those things, but enough yeah. about relationships. Cause I know Sierra is really looking for somebody. <laughs> and she's probably already found you a couple matches. We got a couple yeah. matches already lined up. She Probably. she made that comment 14 minutes ago, and she probably already it's, got fucking three people on it. Ain't her, it's Sabrina. Yeah, one of those. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if I could date anybody from Mississippi. Oh man, <laughs> you just you got beef with Mississippi, man? No, Who doesn't. Who no doesn't? beef, dude. No beef. Well, besides her roads, stink, but no beef, man. I like I like the accent of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So. This is, uh, what is King's life now? Oh, man. Uh, dang it. Just, uh, Wisconsin is northern Texas, is what she yeah, said. Now, too cold. That's definitely not northern Texas. Uh, man, it's, it's good. My life is good, man. Y'all know uh, I went through some hardship after the military and, um, you know, even spent some time in the slammer. And uh, it was only like four or five hours, so it wasn't long. But <laughs> hardened criminal, cool, right? I was a hardened, hardened. You got criminal. that teardrop tattoo? Yeah, right. And uh, you know, it's just now that I'm out, I got a good job, good career. Um, you know, I got great friends. I got great supporting people. I'm still involved with the military order, the Purple Heart. You know, oh, thank I, you for that too, man. It. Thank you so much for for being there for veterans that you know are real. Yeah. That not real, but veterans that have been injured, and you know that's that's heavy duty. And especially, you know, now it's not the same kind of injuries that they had before. It's it's shit you can't see, and right. uh, it's There's awesome lot, that I, that right? you're there to help them. It, it, it's different, right? It's not like I mean, y'all could have been injured at any time. We know what we we all know what we went through, right? Being in downtown Samar and going through what we went through, and I think when it's all said and done, we went on like four hundred and some odd missions throughout that year, uh, which is a lot because that's multiple missions a day, you know. Uh, so it's not like we none of us could have been injured. Some of these guys, most of them are Vietnam guys, right? Mm-hmm. Got some in guys. Most of the World War II guys don't come out anymore. But, you know, when I was homeless on the streets of Dallas for a year, I remember this Vietnam guy hitting me in the face, like almost breaking my nose. And I was pissed, like I was about to hurt him. And he just sat there and he's like, what what the F are you doing here? Like, you have this option. You're 27 years old. You have this option to get off the streets, to ask for help, stop letting your pride get in your way. He goes, I've been here since 78, you know, 27 years, because mm-hmm. I was born in 78. And he's like, I have no option, right? Nobody out there, none of my family still exists. I have no option. And I remember thinking that, you know what? These Vietnam guys had been through the same stuff 
we had gone through. The World War II guys, the Korean guys, they've all been through the same hardships. Maybe not the exact same thing, but they all came home from combat, right? Mm -hmm. They all might have played a role with alcoholism or drugs or PTSD or relationship issues, job issues. They've all been there. They've all struggled, right? So when I was, because I was, that was my darkest, right? You know, you think about giving up on life, everything like that. And when somebody like that, like slaps the crap out of you, you sit there and think, you know what? I remember my dad telling me if he would have listened to his parents when he was younger, he would have been a multimillionaire. He wouldn't be in the position he is today. And I thought, this is my chance right now. Not to start over, but this is my chance from here moving forward for the rest of my life that I, if I ever have an issue, I can reach out to these guys who have been there, gone through the same type of stuff that I've dealt with, and ask them questions. Open up about their story and truly listen and let that light bulb in my head go off, like have that aha moment. And then you can truly move on with your life, right? And so many so many veterans, when they get home, they have families or don't have families, they give up, right? They stop fighting. And my biggest thing that I harp today with other Purple Heart guys is the fact is that why you stop? Why'd you stop fighting now? You fought for your brothers and sisters in Iraq or in Afghanistan or Kosovo, wherever you went, Africa, wherever you went, you fought for them. And you come home and you got parents and brothers and sisters and cousins, maybe a wife or husband and kids. Why would you give up on them? Why would you stop fighting for those people who had been in your life forever? Why would you stop fighting? Right? This is our most important mission now. Right? It's to continue fighting. Right? Brown, you got a kid and a wife. You have to continue fighting. Johnson has to continue fighting. I have to continue fighting. So we can all move on and we can help the people that are coming home now. Because right now, there's no more war, right? If people join the military now, they're not going to experience any war. They're going to experience what we experienced before September 11th, right? And then they're going to have their war one day, right, if they stay in long enough. So no matter what, right now is our chance to help each other out. And when it comes to the MOPH, I, I do what I can when my job allows me to because I'm always on the road with my job. Um, but I do what I can, right? If veterans talk about they want to go hunting or something, I link up with certain hunting programs in the state of Texas and help them out. I have other friends that let me know what's going on, right? There's so many different chapters. And, you know, when I struggled with alcoholism and I got my DWI and I went to jail for that, you know, four hours. Uh, that's what uh, helped me out, right? Going through that veterans treatment program and getting out and, and helping mentor some of the guys that are out. And I'm still in contact with some of those guys to remind them, hey, let's not do what we did before. Let's not make the same mistake, right? Let's continue to move forward and continue to do what we need to do to help one another. Cause that's all we have, right? You 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 might be married and have a son, but I guarantee you they don't they don't truly know what you went through, right? So when you can't reach out, when you can't talk to your wife or son, 
who else do you reach out to? You got to reach out to one of us, mm-hmm. right? Who, who kind of understand what you went through, right? Or who are there that to support you? But you got to open up, and that's the biggest thing, right? I can open up to other veterans, right? However, I do have a hard time opening up to people who claim to have gone to combat, but were on a big fob and had like internet cafe and movie theaters and chilies and stuff like that. It's hard for me to open up to them because they don't truly know. <clears throat> but other Vietnam veterans, that's why it's easy for me to open up to Purple Heart guys because they understand combat. They understand what it's like to be injured in combat and have something flash. And some are more serious than I was, right? Right. Some are missing arms and legs, man. I just got a piece of shrapnel that got stuck in my knee and elbow. Man, I, I was able to walk away from it. Some shrapnel took people's legs off, right? Mm-hmm. So it's different for everybody, but it's just a matter of listening to their story and seeing where you can help out, right? Got two ears for a reason. Got to listen more than we can talk. That's the problem with a lot of people. I think uh, everyone always wants to give their two cents or you know opinions, but if you just listen to somebody, and they'll tell you what they need. No, absolutely. That's all they need. Just yeah, an ear. You're winning at the casino this Friday. Y'all wish me luck. Oh, for sure. Always. <laughs> so check this out. This is uh this has been a good good show, man. Uh me and Kevin simultaneously came to each other after this whole thing and we're like, We gotta have King on because you can articulate things so good that you know, there's no doubt in my mind that what you're saying is from your heart. And that means a lot to me. And I'm sure that means a lot to Kevin, especially on this platform where people can listen to us and hear our stories. And they know that, you know, the shit that we say isn't just crap blasting out of our mouths, man. It's shit that we really mean from our soul. And, uh, you know, you guys are a part of that. No matter what you think. We're we're all brothers, and now we have sisters, and all that kind of stuff, man. It's beautiful. Nephews and nieces. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Y'all remember? You remember that guy that ran the checkpoint in Iraq, where him and his son were in the vehicle, and we shot it up. Yeah, yeah. I remember that guy because we all went downstairs and. Well, I jumped off the building because I thought it was a V-bed. And mm-hmm. I know Stamper was on the same building as me. And I think I I think I tackled Kick and Wing and we, Phillips. And we went off the building together. And I used him as a, a landing pad. Uh, but I remember going down to that old man and his arms hanging on by tendons. Because, you know, we're all using AP rounds to take out the engine. And I remember this guy. And he's just saying, man, I love you. I love you. Uh, God bless you. I love you. Dude's got his arm hanging off by tendons. Doc's putting a tourniquet on his arm. And he's got his left arm, like, grabbing us, telling us I love you, trying to kiss our our hands and stuff like that. And I just remember thinking, man, we're we're in a third world country, a different country. We're in Iraq. This dude's Muslim. We're in his country. People already hate us. This dude just got shot 
by us like 30 times, and he's over here telling us he loves us. Dude, if that's not humility, you know, like for me, like, oh, man, this this guy should hate us, right? This guy should be like, I wish I were everything in the book, and this guy's like got love in his heart, mm-hmm. true love in his heart. And I'm thinking, man, my, my whole life is, has been wrong. My whole life from here has got to be something totally different. The hate's got to go away. The, 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 just I got to live life differently. And that was a whole turning point for me in life in general when I when that guy kept saying that. It was a totally different ball game for my life from then on out or how I looked at things, right? It's all about our perception and how we respond to things, right? Mm-hmm. So that's... And I, I think about that every time somebody gets mad at me on a phone call at work or in personal life and I sit there or something bad happens to me and I sit there, oh, how am I going to respond to this? All right. Am I going to let this impact me or am I going to be like this, this hero that day that was, you know, and I'm sure he's passed away since then because I think he was like 70 something at the time. You know, or he could have been 30. He just looked 70, uh, you know, arm hanging on and mm-hmm. just think, oh, I got to see life totally different. Um, no, 100% agree. And I was going to say, uh, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, when Red Crescent came to pick that guy up, they refused to take him with the tourniquet that was on his upper arm. So Doc, uh, it wasn't skilling at the time. It was his, because uh, Doc was on, on R and R, um, they had to remove that tourniquet, <clears throat> and uh, I remember Captain Rockefeller telling us that that guy did pass. Oh man, yeah, you know that's just that's one of the things, man. It's like you're trying to save that dude's life, and his son's right next to him, and it's a mistake. It's truly a mistake. This guy didn't even see the checkpoint. Didn't have nothing in his vehicles. Just him and his son chit-chat and driving the vehicle like we do every day and just runs a checkpoint in a combat zone and mm. things it's like you know i don't regret not shooting the guy because we didn't know who he was but i learned a lot from how he responded to that situation with his life on the line and ultimately losing his life like i'm sure i'll see him one day if i go to heaven you know, he'll be up there. You yeah, know, and chat about what, it. What I believe in, right? Yeah. You know, maybe we'll bump into each other one day. One day, man. You know what? And on that note, folks, this has been a great show. Uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show, Mr. King. Oh, you're welcome, man. I appreciate you guys having me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Had to happen. Terry, have you, have you talked to him about the upcoming plan? Oh, yeah. We already conversated about that. So, okay. Kev, hey, listeners, Kevin's going to be gone for a little bit. Okay, and, I wasn't, uh, wasn't going to say anything. Oh, well, here we are. I mean, it's. I'm I was going to say it, but oh, whatever. Go ahead it's fine. It. It's, it's, it's my news, not yours, but whatever. No, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. It's go spend some time in jail for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, worse. He's going to go um, do army shit. Oh, see, I'm still yeah, doing it. I'll be on 75 day orders um, up and away somewhere. I'm doing, doing my job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Tyree, like, 
and that's kind of like that, that was part of the other conversation or in that same conversation like Tyree and I talked about like okay well like um, we all know like Ty- Tyree can't carry a show like I can so <laughs> <laughs> he does pretty good no but hey you write about it um, no 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 uh, honestly like um, it, it, I think I think I think uh, doing a one on one show which is like people is I mean it's doable right but nobody wants to hear all that Right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's it sounds boring. Like I think Tyree and I, um, and I, I think we've talked about this before. Like we we jive well with, with with our thought processes and and how we conversate and all of that stuff. And we're like, well, who the fuck could we think of that um, would be willing to do it and can fi- can fill my really big shoes? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I, I, honestly, I got to say, like I I am a little worried about uh, losing my job here um, because oh, yeah. uh, King, like I. I think it, um, if, if, I mean, if, if you don't steal my job after, after this, after this, uh, time that I'm gone, You'll be um, <laughs> well, I mean, um, I, I will appreciate you relinquishing that position when I get back, but I can absolutely see, um, you doing this and taking it somewhere on your own. Or in a different way or in relation to what we're doing as well, especially with how you, you know, you help out with the order of the purple heart and the way you love to help veterans and you want to give back to the community. Um, Cause it Tyree and I, like, I know, I know we've talked about it before, but like us doing this show in, initially wasn't for that reason, but it's turned into that and we couldn't be happier with that result. And like <clears throat> in my mind, I, I can, I can see, I can see this leading you down another path, giving you another avenue to to do that and um, yeah, man, do some voice characters for some girls or something. <laughs> voice. I don't, no, man, I, I, it's an honor for you to uh, ask me to step in while you're gone. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of y'all's podcast. Um, I haven't finished all the episodes, but I'm working on my way there. But, you know, me and me and Brown talked about this while um, we were in the ocean, you know, being surrounded by sharks <laughs> and, um, you know, waiting. Baby our- sharks. Yeah. Well, they were killers to me. Hell yeah. Right. <laughs> Big mouth bass were about to attack us. But, uh, you know, we talked about it, right? Just y'all have a chance to take your podcast just like and create it like some of these other bigger podcasts, right? And when you look at those other podcasts, you're not going to see one or two people in there. They got multiple people in those podcasts. Mm-hmm. They they play off of each other's uh, tones, right? They play off of each other's questions or statements, right? So you don't you don't see Joe out there by himself. He's got two or three people in there along with his guests. Uh, just like other people. So mm-hmm. y'all got this chance to, you know, take it next step. That's why I donated to y'all's uh, GoFundMe page. Thank you for that. I think, yeah, you're welcome. I th- I had a little extra money, you know, from this past weekend. <laughs> Jeez, uh, little. I didn't walk away with it all. But uh, <laughs> I will say that uh, y'all just got a chance, man, to, to take this somewhere big and Man, I just look forward to it, man. I, I just want to be a part of the ride, the journey. Hey, man, you're a part of it now. You're you're all uh, over it. The balls deep, all the way deep. 
You yeah. know what? Well, it's so deep, you, you got a calf cramp. That's crap. the only thing that goes deep. Okay. <laughs> All right, folks. So thanks for listening to Before I Forget. Please like, listen, share, and subscribe. And we'll catch you on the next one. Uh, say bye, Kevin. King, uh, thanks for fucking taking the time, dude. And for real, dude, like seeing you at the reunion, man. Like, yeah. A lot, a lot of thoughts there, but I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing, hearing the show while I'm gone, and and uh, and future, future interactions with us. Oh yeah, for sure, dude. Well, it was a pleasure, gentlemen. Appreciate having. I love both of y'all to death. Love um, you too, brother. Who knows? I may surprise y'all soon and be out in y'all's neck of the woods. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, dude. Anytime. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to before I forget again, and uh, we'll see you use later. Japan and I'm straight up the block like a running back get it man I'm straight up the block